Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Liz Loza and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters. Satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years what satisfied me today? I could go a couple of directions with this, but Matt, I think I'm going to see if you also like to get a little bit loose this time of the year with your picks and your calls. And sometimes, you know, fortune favors the bold and other times it does not. But also I am completely satisfied with the fun that I had in some of my picks, knowing that they were like, also, I think, Tell me what you're like. We are asked to do these bold predictions on a weekly basis, and people really tend to like them so that they can judge them and tell us how bold they are, or and or how outlandish they might be. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's an opportunity, especially in week thirteen, to just have a little bit of fun and shoot for the moon. Because usually, you're trying to shoot for the moon if you're trying to get into the playoffs, or you're just riding with what has gotten you there. So the point of a bold prediction is to be bold. Sure. Um, I I think that it's fun. Like bold predictions and stuff like that are always really funny because there's the balance, like you said, of if, if it's not bold enough, people will tell you that it's not bold. Um, but if it's too bold, then it's probably just not going to happen. So really, you know, what are we doing here? I agree with you. It's, it's always fun to get a little, um, a little fast and loose with predictions this time of year. It's also like, sometimes you can talk yourself. Like I talked myself at a Keelan Cole this week and I was like, what did I, how did, and now I'm sitting here on Sunday. I'm like, why did I do that? How did, what, how did I? Oh girl, I was very sure of uh of a ryan Izzo touchdown like it had definitely yeah that was an interesting and one for the record but for the record i knew that one of these patriots unsung heroes was going to be the major producer for the offense it wasn't the tight end it was uh Oshevsky, right like this is yeah. this is the kid who comes out of nowhere and has a giant day i knew someone was gonna do it i just didn't know which one i didn't pick the right guy but that's what I mean. It's like kind of I am completely satisfied watching that game being like, oh, this pick is wrong. But I knew I was onto something and this is the way it's going to go. And this is kind of fun. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, there come on, it. it's football. Who cares? Uh, you know, there's no Patriots player uh, besides like James White had more than two catches in this game. So um, there are a lot of interesting guys to pop up. Uh, like the kick returner, as you men- mentioned, this guy's been po- – Gunner's been popping up for a while. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fun game to track. All right, so let's talk about a game that was fun finally again for Alvin Kamara managers because he had himself a bounce back 
in the New Orleans at Atlanta after 15 carries for 88 yards and a touchdown. Maybe not as many touches in the passing game as people had hoped, but obviously the touchdown was enough to buoy that fantasy line. Just two catches for nine yards. Latavius Murray, who we kept talking up heading into the week after his tilting effort last week, right, was phased out a little bit. Just 17 yards on five carries. So latest news we're hearing during this game, right, on Twitter was that there is likelihood that Drew Brees is going to be back soon, which would certainly help those uh, people who have rostered Alvin Kamara. Yeah, right. Like, we're probably not going to be riding the Taysom Hill coaster for too much longer. But you talk about playing fast and loose. I feel like Sean Payton played a little bit fast and loose by getting Taysom Hill in here over Jameis Winston a few weeks ago. And I feel like, you know, this is just conjecture. It's guessing. But I feel like Peyton has kind of tried several different game plans here with Hill because this is also an evaluation point for Taysom Hill. Like, it, it, this is not just – like, the Saints are the best team in the NFC, right? Like, they're, they're a good yep. team and they want to continue – to win games and hold that number one seed and be really good. But at the same time, they're also using this as a chance to take a look at Hill and see if what Sean Payton proclaims that he's, you know, the potential future of the the franchise or whatever, they want to see if that's true. And I do think this was another encouraging outing for Taysom Hill. Um, You know, you mentioned it, that, that, Alvin Kamara gets involved, maybe not as much as a pass catcher, but does score the touchdown. So, like, his fantasy managers can can dance in the streets with relief. That's great. Michael Thomas also has been pretty steadily consistent with Taysom Hill under center. You know, to, obviously, the entire passing game was sort of out of the window last week, but he has 100 yards in this game again. And before, you know, the, the, the haters uh, freak out about, well, it's the Falcons' defense – Really, you could argue that on balance, Raheem Morris has these guys playing well on defense, but the two times they've sort of stumbled with Morris as the head coach, it's been against these Taysom Hill-led New Orleans Saints. And next week, the Saints will travel to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles, and that's a whole team we're going to talk about that's going through a lot of stuff. But we are, I, I think the current buzz, and anything can change, right, Sunday night, it seems to be as though Drew Brees is trending towards playing in week 14. Yes. Yeah, he could play week 14, and I would say at worst, week 15. So, again, this this yep. ride with Taysom Hill is coming to an end. Uh, but at the same time, I do think this is this was so like two out of the three starts. He's been he's been pretty solid. Well, so we'll see what happens. On the <laughs> On the Falcon side of things, you know, you and I had a face-off over Matt Ryan versus Mitch Trubisky, and Matt Ryan continued to captain the struggle bus. 273 yards, fine, one touchdown. He played clean, I guess, but he's just getting sacked three times in this one. The run game was completely tilting. Uh, Ito Smith led the backfield and, you know, you had Julio Jones out there drawing 10 targets, getting 94 yards, but still not producing at the level that you're expecting, especially in a divisional showdown against a team that you just played against, that you can game plan against in a recent amount of time for the rest of the Falcons. As it stands right now, Liz, to speak to that face-off, obviously we're uh, recording during Sunday Night Football. Mitchell Trubisky, QB 17 with 13.28 points. 
Uh, Matt Ryan, QB 18 with 12.9 points. So sometimes there are no winners when we do these, these fantasy face-offs. I like that you're mentioning that, though. I mean, we could get to that because the quarterbacks mostly produced all of the starting quarterbacks from a fantasy perspective were quarterbacks that were highly rested. There were, with the exception of maybe Mike Glennon, because that, te- that game went into overtime, there were no big surprises um, who were like streamable options well, that ended up in the top 12. Depends on how it depends on like Baker Mayfield. Obviously I, you know, we'll see Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold was QB oh, 10. I, I have him. So uh, well, you know, I, I uh, so to me, that's not a, a pull because that's who I was able to get after a uh, deck Prescott went down. So that's true. I hear you. We'll get to that game, but you mentioned Mitch Trubisky. Let's talk about Detroit at Chicago because we have to, we are contractually <laughs> obligated to, uh, Trubisky wasn't bad. Right. You mentioned it. He wasn't bad necessarily. Um, he spread the ball around five receivers, had at least four targets. Allen Robinson, surprisingly, led the way with 75 yards and seven of those looks. Cole Komet drew another seven targets. I'm not really worried about that. You keep seeing Trubisky try to force the ball to Jimmy Graham, too. I think that that's a naked take lock. And of course, David Montgomery delivered in a soft, exploitable matchup. Props to uh, Andy Barons, who was very, very excited about that happening for both his Bears and his bold predictions record. From a fantasy perspective, we know that Allen Robinson and David Montgomery are the only two bankable fantasy options in this otherwise blundering offense. Yeah, I think you said that perfectly. Like, Trubisky was pretty good in this game from a Trubisky-adjusted standpoint. Like, the touchdowns just went to David Montgomery. Two touchdowns for him. Also, Cordero Patterson gets a rushing touchdown. So if you streamed Trubisky or if you were uh, dumb enough like me to play him in your daily fantasy lineup, you know, you were this close to having that work out. He does continue the trend that I mentioned on FFL this morning of like he has a 100 plus passer rating now in 15 of his 47 career games. And uh, five of those have come against the Detroit Lions. So good for him. Keeps carving up the Lions. Uh, like you mentioned, the Colcomet thing is actually kind of interesting, though, because the last couple of weeks he has started to run more routes, play more snaps. That held true this game, too. He played more snaps than Jimmy Graham. So if you're streaming tight ends, Komet's now on that radar, which is you know full of a bunch of guys that are highly, oh, untr- great. highly untrustable, but names to consider. Agreed. Uh, from the Lions side of things, of course, this is the first time that Matt Stafford and company was trotting out onto the field without Matt Patricia and the team's GM, Bob Quinn, at the helm. Bob Quinn, correct? Yes, correct. This is the first time that Matt Stafford and company were trotting out on the field without Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn at the helm. So we see a little bit of a lift, 400 passing yards, three touchdowns again, no Kenny Galladay. Marvin Jones continues to be the biggest beneficiary of Galladay's absence from a targets perspective. He regularly sees eight. He got 12 in this one, went off for over 101 touchdown against a pretty good defense. Um, you know, I obviously Quentin Cephas had like himself a big play, but from a fantasy perspective, it didn't really move the needle much. Hawkinson, good matchup for Hawkinson, by the way. Mm -hmm. Bears tend to be soft against tight ends. He managed over 80 yards. And of course, Adrian Peterson manages two touchdowns, of course, against this Chicago Bears defense, which is normally staunch. And DeAndre Swift, no longer on the COVID list, but instead dealing with some sort of illness that is not COVID. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this this was surprising to me because I thought he this I, I thought Matt Stafford, you know, has not looked all that good of late, but you know, there's been a lot of health issues. Obviously, they're still they're still missing Swift mm-hmm. and Galladay. Like, I don't think this offense has a lot of juice um without those two guys, but nevertheless play really well in this spot. I was not expecting that. I don't know what it means. I don't know. Maybe it really is just the breath of fresh air uh, thing with Patricia out the door. I'm sure that just given, you know, Kenny Galladay's out there liking the post on Instagram about him being fired uh, pretty much in mass, former Detroit Lions uh, were excited about it on Twitter. So, you know, it really could just be that breath of fresh air thing, and that's what propelled the Lions to have this sort of performance. And Because this is, frankly, what I thought the offense might look like even without these two guys, their two biggest young difference makers in Swift and Galladay. Like, TJ Hawkinson has, like you said, the solid day. Marvin Jones played pretty well in this spot. Like, that's more of what I expected to see from the Lions, and maybe this is just that, that, that effect, but it was certainly a surprise to me. There's no question about it. I, I don't know what it means going forward, but it was it was it was pleasant a pleasant surprise to see. Well, it it was discussed. There was a lot of discussion about the fact that the pace was to be improved, was to be picked up under Bevel, um, and so maybe moving forward because the Lions now in Week 14 have another NFC North matchup against the Packers, and what an opportune time, assuming that Swift, who by the way I didn't mean off of the COVID list, he cleared concussion protocols, but now yeah. has an illness that is not COVID related. So let me be clear of that so that everybody doesn't freak out because COVID tends to trigger folks. If he does return, this is a nice spot for him to go off against the Packers. Yes. I, I hope that he does get back out there for that. Cause it would be great to see. You mentioned Baker Mayfield in our little discussion about maybe streamable quarterbacks and So let's talk about Cleveland at Tennessee. There were lots of monster performances in this one, but Baker Mayfield, perhaps the most surprising, 334 yards, four touchdowns. He got Donovan DPJ involved, the rookie out of Michigan. I I like the play. Obviously, Jarvis Landry continues. We talked about that a lot in FFL. Adam projected for over 70 yards. He bested that performance that I had forecasted for him. He's healthy. Things are simplified. The offense is thriving. Rashad Higgins, a Baker's bestie, is now in the fold regularly. We all know he's in the circle of trust, but maybe now he's um, – I, I just feel like it's interesting that this Browns team, after the weather, after the OBJ drama that always accompanies him, at this part of the season are finally starting to get hot and allow Baker to air it out a little bit. Yeah. So – this is an interesting game because obviously the results are very different than what we usually get from the Browns. Four touchdowns for Mayfield. Uh, so much of it occurred in the first half. The tight the Titans really held them down in the second half, or maybe they just took their foot off the gas, whatever. Like they know they didn't. They were up 38 to seven at halftime. They probably felt like they didn't have to do that much. Tennessee actually battled back. Credit to Ryan Tannehill in a negative game script, pushing them back into a more competitive game. Like had they got that last onside kick, this would have been interesting you know like the titans could have potentially come back in this game but on the brown side and the baker mayfield side I, I don't know if this is just a total wet blanket take for me but i feel like we learned we actually learned nothing new about baker mayfield and, and the browns offense in this game because like i said to you on the halftime show 
we should know that this is in the cards for Baker Mayfield because number one, he's in a beautifully designed offense. Kevin Stefanski, I think, probably hasn't gotten enough credit for how good that offense looks on a week-to-week basis from a design standpoint. They're doing a ton of smart things. They're mixing in a ton of different concepts. Uh, Bill Callahan has the line playing incredibly well. Everything is basically gelled in Cleveland. Now, when it comes to Baker Mayfield, again, this is a guy who broke the rookie touchdown record. And I'm not saying that he's a stud or anything. In fact, I think he's very much a replacement-level quarterback. And most replacement-level quarterbacks, when you give them protection, uh, they can thrive. Mayfield's problem is that the second the pocket breaks down, the second there's any pressure, it goes to complete hell for him. And in this game, against the Titans defense that just lost Jadevian Clowney to a season-ending injury, and Clowney wasn't even doing anything really when he was in there from a pass rush perspective. They don't sack Mayfield today. They came into this game with 14 sacks. This is a perfect opportunity for Mayfield to to totally dice up a team, which he is capable of doing because he has good players around him in Landry and Higgins and obviously in the backfield. So I just feel like we didn't learn much about the Browns in this game. And I feel like that might be a wet blanket take, but that's just kind of how I feel feel about it coming out of this game. I don't think it's a wet blanket take. I think that the thing that we did learn that you're not mentioning is the permission granted to Baker Mayfield, right? Because we all knew that he had, you're right, these weapons at his disposal, this ability in his back pocket. If the, if the climbs, no, no pun intended to the weather, weather issues this team had had were in perfect condition. But we still hadn't seen Kevin Stefanski offer him the permission to utilize all of those things. And I still think that his production is based on a green light that will be or will not be lit by Stefanski. And that is not always as game flow predictable as we would like it to be or as we imagine it could be next week. They have the Ravens on Monday night. Now, it's hard to project that game yeah. right now mm-hmm. because the Ravens, number one, have yet to play. We don't know be a few days. <laughs> which Ravens players, right? We don't know who's going to be on the field. Also, last week, on not even last week, Wednesday, just days ago, we saw uh, two of the top corners, Jimmy Smith and Marcus Peters, get banged up mid-game. Like, I don't know what their turnaround is going to be. There could be an opportunity here if we're looking at what the Ravens do defensively and the pieces that they could potentially have back in where Baker Mayfield might have to throw the ball and the run game won't be as available because of the matchup. And that's where I like, don't really like Mayfield want to play with it. Yeah. Because, because number one, you've got pass rushes in Baltimore. Number two, I think he's a guy that needs to play in positive game script. Whereas Kirk cousins played in this offense last year and he's playing in, a, a version of it, obviously, with Gary Kubiak still there in Minnesota. Kirk Cousins doesn't have to play in positive game script. Like, he can move the ball in negative game script because, he, I mean, he's just got a lot more experience, and he's, I think he's, frankly, just a better quarterback than Mayfield is at this point. Mayfield's a guy that, like, I only want to see playing when his team has the lead, when he's in control, because then they can't, you know, passengers can't then pin their ears back and go after him. And like I said, that's where he really struggles. So... Well, that is it is really interesting. It's so hard to project this game because it's so it's number one. It's so far away. The Ravens haven't even played yet. The Ravens have so many questions. I, I think people if people are surprised by the Browns like winning this game and taking it to another really good AFC team, I feel like they haven't been really paying attention to the Browns because they've been a good team all year. 
you know, other than Mayfield, like they've got a lot. They've got stars uh, in the backfield. Miles Garrett's back. Miles Garrett's one of the best defensive players in the NFL. So, and their offensive line has been great all year. So this is a good team. I, I wasn't surprised necessarily. I was surprised in the nature in which it happened, but I expected them to be competitive in this game for sure. Well, were you surprised by the fact that Derrick Henry only rolled up 60 yards? Yeah. Yeah. This is this is where the Titans' lack of a pass rush, I think, is a big problem for the Tennessee Titans. Um, not that their offense can't function. Like, they have a very good passing game. Ryan Tannehill is a good player. He's Ryan Tannehill, on the inverse of it, has been really good under pressure this year. Uh, I, I think he's played really well in chaos generally. Um, so I'm not saying that like their team on the on the other side where I feel like Cleveland has to play with a lead Tennessee can come back we've seen him do it against the Ravens um whatever they're they're not a team I really worry about in that sense but for Derrick Henry and these guys we know they're just they're an elite powerhouse offense and a fully functional battle station when they're playing with a lead and their pass rush is so problematic that I could see a team running it up on him like we did here. And then their margin for error just becomes so thin because Henry's not a factor in the passing game and he fumbles one time and then the floor is completely, you know, out from out from under him because Derrick Henry's the most effective. I, I think people roll their eyes at this as like a narrative thing, but Derrick Henry, there's definitely something to it. He's more effective later in games in the fourth quarter because he's a physical freak and people want to be making some business decisions when they see him coming down the field. So anytime that then the Titans are then playing from behind because their defense is a, is a problem, that's not great for Henry's outlook. Well, it has been great for Corey Davis over the past few weeks, who has continued to produce 11 grabs for 182 plus a touch this week. Obviously, Jonu Smith is not absent. We figured that maybe his absence would continue to buoy Corey Davis's volume. He led these, I mean, he led the receiving core in looks uh, a, a team high 12. AJ Brown and Anthony Fersker, I mentioned he's the backup tight end, right? To Jonu Smith, both with seven. He caught five for 51. We saw AJ Brown, obviously. We know that A.J. Brown is going to put up one big play per week. This time it was a 40-yard grab that added to his total so that he managed 87 on four uh, receptions. I just don't see how we can I, – here's, I guess, my question. Are we going to continue to believe in Corey Davis because you're mentioning the, the defensive struggles and how they are affecting the offense and how maybe that boosts Davis? Yeah, I've been in on Corey Davis for a while this year because the opportunity between him and A.J. Brown is much closer than people give it credit for in terms of routes run, targets, everything. These guys have been pretty close to each other all year. Uh, A.J. Brown's obviously the bigger playmaker. A.J. Brown should have scored on a, a slant pass where mm -hmm. uh, he bullies over some corner, fumbles at the last minute, and Michael Pruitt picks it up and rushes the fumble in. So uh, ultra-tilting uh, if you've got... A.J. Brown or Ryan Tannehill, for that matter, because he doesn't get a credit for a touchdown pass on that one. Um, it is what it is. The Titans kept on moving. But, yeah, Davis has been a big factor in this offense all year. That's gone undersold. Now, just so we're talking about all these defensive issues and everything like that, the next two opponents for Tennessee, Jacksonville, Mike Lennon's got him playing respectable, but still, that's not exactly an offensive powerhouse. Detroit. We don't know what they're going to look like. And then the Packers in week 16, that Packers one in week 16, 
I mean, I could easily see if this defense still comes out like that, Aaron Rodgers just taking it to this team. And despite the fact that, oh, man, we really want to run the ball on this front seven, Mike Pettin's defense with our guy Derrick Henry, it could be a different script pretty quickly there because of this defense. And those are the type of matchups where in Week 16, Fantasy Championships, I'm at least going to have that in the back of my mind. Interesting. Interesting take to look that far ahead. At least in Jacksonville, you know you can do whatever you like with them. So hopefully – um, the Tennessee Titans, we're expecting the Titans to bounce back in terms of win record in week 14 as well. And I would like to imagine that Derrick Henry can get right in the first round of the fantasy playoffs. Yeah. Or at least bounce, no, I don't want to say get right, bounce back from this effort, uh, assuming you advanced. Cincinnati at Miami. So Tua got the start. He had an okay game, just under 300 yards and a touchdown. But Devonta Parker, the player with the most fantasy cachet that Lost out in this one with the switch from Ryan Fitzpatrick, the magic, and Parker being his muse. Um, Mike Kosecki, though, he uh, he decided to show up for the first time in a while. 88 yards and a touchdown off of 11 targets. So I guess we'll take that. Yeah, touchdowns in back-to-back weeks for Mike Kosecki. Uh, his first couple scores since September. So <laughs> nice to see you again, my guy. Nice to see you. This, I, it's funny, though, because I thought Kosecki would actually be a guy that benefited from the switch to Tua. And maybe this is just – it's it's coming along a bit later because I think Tua is – a breeze-ish type of like timing anticipatory passer over the middle, which theoretically would fit with a guy like Gasecki who runs a lot of slot routes. I, I this this Parker uh, to a lack of a connection there was like easy to see from a mile away. I, I, this was something I was talking about in the preseason because of the way Parker plays. It's just not. It's a little incongruous to a guy like Tua at this stage of Tua's development. But at the same time, people have got to like. Let Tua figure it out, you know? I Maybe I'm just reading too much into a few tweets, which you shouldn't do, but I'm going to do it anyways. You know, people are tweeting about they need to switch back to Fitzpatrick. Like, switch, let Tua figure this out, man. You know, I get that they've been a better offense for fantasy, theoretically. Like, basically, Fitzpatrick at this point, you just want him to unlock Parker, but that's it. Like, let Tua get his reps and figure it out on a team that does have a really good infrastructure. How much are we really missing out? Again, unless you got Devontae Parker on your roster, how much are we really missing out here from, like, fantasy juice by going from Fitzpatrick to Tua? I realize Tua's had some slower moments, but I I feel like it's gotten overstated at this point because of the Parker thing. But isn't it also partially because of the game watch itself? Like, we know that Fitzpatrick... It is just more exciting. Like there's more True. YOLO balls that he will throw up. And I'm not saying that it's not interesting on an intellectual level to watch Tua evolve his game and gain reps, but it's just more fun yes. to see Ryan Fitzpatrick like rip one loose and be like, holy hell. And then Devonta Parker to, you know, boo AJ Bouye in the end zone with his tippy toes. Like that's just more exciting than dinking and dunking to. Uh, a high sparks for tight end that we've been waiting for forever to break out. Yeah. Or, you know, Lynn Bowden jr. With four catches for 41 yards, sure. you know? Yeah. I, I totally get that part of it for sure. Also, I just wonder too, the dolphins are probably part of the problem here too, because they did the whole thing in the Broncos game where they benched to a, uh, in Brian Flores. That's, I mean, that's the part that I was referencing, right. right? Like that's when Parker comes to life again. And maybe it's not just Parker, but I think it's also like, 
the hold your breath moments. I'm sorry, continue. Definitely. But I, I agree with you. It's Fitzpatrick is a more fun watch. Uh, I just, this this Miami team is in playoff contention. I don't think that they're not going to be a playoff team because of Tua, basically. I think they'll be fine, and I feel like we just kind of have to get, get just get over it. But again, maybe I'm just reading into a few tweets and nobody really cares that much. Well, I think you're definitely picking up on some ag- aggro energy because this matchup you would not expect necessarily from the Bengals. There was some and, tension. And like the two of, <laughs> yes, and you were, you were definitely feeling that. I think Twitter was feeling it as well. Lots of ejections. We mentioned Parker. He got ejected. Tyler Boyd got ejected. Yep. Um, so Brian Flores looked like, I, let me, I, t- uh, let me tell you what, ah, Brian Flores I, coming. I will f- with Brian Flores. Holy. Yeah. Shit. He was, um, our former colleague, Kimberly Martin said on Twitter, the, uh, the, the Brooklyn came out of him there. And I was like, man, yeah, that was, uh, he did not, he looked like a man. I did not want to mess with coming out there onto the field. And like Von Bell, who j- used to play for the saints now playing for yeah. the Bengals. He just kind of puts his, like his arm out in front of Flores, like, hey, listen, the Bengals are not worth this, man. I just got here, and I'm going to tell you, it's not worth it. It was crazy, but what, I mean, it was a wild scene, for sure. Uh, I feel bad. Waiting on the Carlos Dunlap reaction on that one. That would be, that would be great. That would be great to know. Um, I feel bad for the Bengals a little bit, because it's just, they're just such an instantly boring and, um, easy to look over team without burrow you know brandon allen back there ryan finley gets in there because uh brandon allen gets hurt it's a tough watch it's a, it's a tough watch I, i'm still impressed that t higgins was managing to convert five to seven for 56 i thought he might find the end zone not so much it was obviously a tough matchup but i'm still keeping an eye on him i think that he He's might yeah. turn into a player sort of um uh who can who can draw a bad quarterback into production. And we obviously don't know when Joe Burrow's timetable is going to allow him to return in 2021. Let's move on to Jacksonville at Minnesota. This was the game we talked about at the top of the episode that went into overtime. Kirk Cousins looked like he was regressing over the first half. And then because of game script had to get it together and ended up having a bit of a day. Yeah. Um, can't out Kirk can't uh, can't count out Kirk Cousins <laughs> in the second half of games. I mean, and it's not just I don't think it's just because of game strip, but the reason that Kirk Cousins is producing so well this year. I mean, three touchdowns in three straight games now, plus over three hundred yards in those games as well. And from an advanced metric standpoint, he looks great. It's because he's got two star receivers and Justin Jefferson. Yeah is on track to have an Odell Beckham type of season just without the spectacular rookie catch uh, that is in a primetime game and gets talked about, you know, on like freaking Nickelodeon because it's everywhere, you know, you become that type of guy. So plus he plays with the Vikings, not the, New York, not the New York Giants. It is what it is. But my point is how we felt about Odell Beckham after his rookie year is probably how we should feel about Justin Jefferson because he's having that type of year. I don't think that it's a, an exaggeration to say that he – single-handedly altered the course of the Vikings offense. Like, remember what this unit looked like the mm. first two games without him in there. Uh, he, go, he, he makes history today as one of the two Vikings rookies to ever go for a thousand yards, a select group of guys to do that in 12 games as a rookie. You just really can't say enough good about the guy. 12 targets, nine catches, 121 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he's, he's legitimately, I think their number one receiver and, 
already a, a star in the NFL. I can't disagree with any of it. The only thing I will say is that it is a testament to the talent of these players who have at the top of this game, I was like, okay, well, this is the worst case scenario. This is a Dalvin Cook led offense when Kirk is starting to Kirk out a little bit. You know, the Thielen is going to see the red zone. At that point, he had already scored a touchdown. So that's your red zone threat. And Justin Jefferson is going to get left out in the cold. And then the half happened and Justin Jefferson, and I think this is the point that you're getting to as well, inserted himself into the conversation. And now we can no longer, and we ha- we shouldn't have. I mean, obviously, if you are setting lineups this week with any sort of playoff um, reality, in your realm, then you haven't been sitting Justin Jefferson yeah, anyway. But I think this, the announcement has continued throughout the weeks. And in an effort like this, where you can see him come back after the first half, we now need to like not end the sentence with a period, but with an exclamation. Totally. And it's just, it changes the court. Like I said, changes the course of the whole offense. That's including uh, Kirk Cousins. Like, I know that a couple times we've talked about, oh, this is, this could be the Kirk Cousins like regression, the bad game or whatever. Maybe in the past, uh, or maybe in a non-Justin Jefferson universe, it might have been. But the games where he has come back in the second half against the Falcons, um, in this one as well, uh, it's been because it's been because Justin Jefferson is out there making big plays. I do want to talk about the Jaguars because. James Robinson continues, you know, we get James Robinson questions every week on FFL. And I think we're always like, just what do you start him? Stop it. Start him along the same lines as Justin Jefferson. James Robinson managed 78 yards and a touchdown on the ground in this one. This receiving core with Mike Glennon as the team's quarterback is interesting. It's a little bit of a puzzle. I'm trying to figure it out. DJ Chark obviously wasn't on the field last week. He returned this week, led the team in targets with seven. But otherwise, there was a four-way tie for second place with four different players drawing six looks apiece. Mm -hmm. And Colin Johnson continued to benefit. He posted four catches for 66 yards. Matt, do you remember a couple of years ago on Twitter, there was a whole hashtag team tall receiver versus hashtag team small receiver? Yeah. Well, Colin Johnson, remember that? There was a debate. That was like a hot debate for a second. Colin Johnson wins hashtag team tall receiver because he is at 6'6", the tallest receiver in the league currently playing. This rookie, right, he's huge. Um, And uh, the rapport between him and Glennon is pretty obvious also because it's not just like, I mean, Colin Johnson benefited in this game from blown coverage. He was wide open a couple of times, but also it is telling to me that yes, the coverage might've dictated the target sent his way via Glennon, but Glennon had the confidence to go to him in pretty key moments down the field. Yes. Those were the downfield looks I thought would be going to Keelan Cole in this game. (laughs) But uh, Colin Johnson is a guy that people like Uh, maybe Glennon also spending time with the second teamers, with the backups deeper down the depth chart. Well, that's the narrative. We don't want to get on the crutch, right? We don't want Chris Harris to come after us for that argument. That's why I avoided it. I know, but I wanted to say it's just just for that reason. Uh, So, yeah, no, but Glennon's had this offense playing much more competently than I thought. Um, And my bar was low for Glennon, so that doesn't mean I'm all that excited about it. But you mentioned James Robinson. This is the first time I think since week nine that any other Jaguars running back has recorded a rush attempt. Besides James Robinson, Dare 
Ogunwale. Uh, yep, is, do it. Yep, yep, you yep. Got it. He's he's the guy. He, he's the one who did it. Just two. Just two. Just two Not much, but yeah. But something. Something. All right, let's talk about Indianapolis at Houston. This was a game that I was particularly intrigued by heading into the week because game flow was a little bit suspect. It could have gone a couple of ways. And how it went was that uh, the Indianapolis Colts beat the Houston Texans by six points. And the questions about who would draw Will Fuller's targets now that he wasn't on the field were the answer. It was, uh, yes, Kiki Cutie. There are a lot of people who are honking about, I told you about Kiki Cutie. Yeah. Um, but also Chad Henson, <sighs> former New York Jet, um, was third in team targets with seven and managed a hundred over a hundred yards on five receptions. Was Chad Hansen anywhere on your radar, Matt? No, not really. But what I did notice um, was Chad Hansen, apparently Deshaun Watson mentioned this after the game, him and Kiki Kute were uh, in Arizona working out with him in the off season in, you know, the like hundred degree heat. Uh, Watson was was talking about this. Man, I really wish I would have known that they already had this built-in chemistry from the off-season days. I would have been mm-hmm. more bullish on uh, on Chad Hansen, but that that was surprising um, because you know this was this was just an off-season, just an, a depth chart that was totally full of mystery after Will Fuller went down. And I, I just I still feel for Watson. Uh, you know, he was very dejected after yeah. the game. Um, it's tough. I feel like it's it's tough for these guys. We we talk about things on Twitter like it's the, you know the bigger picture and all that type of stuff. Um, you know, people are actively saying like, ah, oh, the Jets got to try to lose this game to tank for Trevor Lawrence. Like people don't think like that when they're football players. You know, Joe Burrow's out there like, what's he want? He wants to win games to, to finish the year before he he tears his ACL. It's just it's tough for these guys like Deshaun Watson, a, a storied college player, to just suddenly be like, all right, let's look to the future or whatever. It's just it's tough. It's tough to watch. Um, but David Johnson got back out there too. Uh, I wasn't all that excited about David Johnson. Still ends up finding his way to ten carries and a touchdown. Uh, so that was another uh, another wrinkle I wasn't expecting today. You, I mean, but this is a pretty standard David Johnson line forty. This is yeah, whether yards, whether whether or not he scores a the touchdown. touchdown, yeah. I mean, yeah. the the interesting part of that, too, was that Duke Johnson still held the passing down role. Six targets for him um, with, with David Johnson drawing two and not catching either. On the Indianapolis side of things, well, we should also say Deshaun Watson did pass for over 340 yards with this mishmash of wide receivers and in a tough matchup. Uh, and though he did not throw a single touchdown to this mishmash of wide receivers, he did run one in. So God, sacked five times. It is, it is, we were talking before FFL, a little peek behind the curtain with all of the cast about who, which of these quarterbacks you feel the worst for. And a lot of us were in agreement about Deshaun Watson because even though he's gotten paid, like he still has to get up every day and know that it's an uphill battle. In terms, and they've usually won the division, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, he even said as early as as recently as two weeks ago that his objective was to win the division. Of course, what else is he going to say? But I believe that oh, from yeah. him. I believe that he was like, "All right, we just got to do it," you know. 
but Philip Rivers and company bounced back after dropping the game to Tennessee last week. 285 passing yards for two touchdowns. He was sacked three times, too. I guess the biggest story is that Jonathan Taylor managed to build on the momentum of his Week 11 breakout, though I know plenty of people will say that his production was fluky at best. I feel like a lot of people will also chirp about the fact that he didn't get enough work, which it's like, come, give me a break. You know, I mean, we Naheem Hines is not going to go away. You know, this is this is a guy in Naheem Hines who's played well all year. Good, good, good players don't just get yanked out of the lineup to make the distribution more clear, especially when teams are winning. And Hines has scored or been a big part of a lot of the Colts' best game this year. So that's just not going to change. If you backed Jonathan Taylor going into this game, if you touted him or you started him, whatever, you've got to be happy with the results. I mean, he still led the backfield in snaps played. He still registered 16 touches. He still went over 130 total yards, caught a touchdown. This is a good outcome for Jonathan Taylor, especially because Taylor has been a volatile individual player all year. There, There's definitely been times where he hasn't played – played up to his talent played up to the situation so this is a big win for Taylor I wouldn't um I wouldn't feel too dejected uh, about it all despite the fact that Hines obviously is still going to be involved Wilkins is still going to be involved that's just it's just, that's just kind of is what it is territory for this team it's also not as predictable as we want it to be as we thought it would be right like yes. Hines was supposed to be the pass catching change of pace back and Taylor was supposed to be the early downs grinder who who won at the goal line because that's what he did in college. But like, you're right. Heinz is not going away because he has been consistent because he has been good. And he scored the rushing touchdown. It was t- Jonathan Taylor who scored the receiving touchdown. <laughs> Creative coaches. What do we yeah. think about Frank Reich though? We know that he's a look at his Super Bowl performance. We know that he is a creative coach who likes to mix things up. He is not committed to one thing only, except for maybe Phil Rivers, and then not even because he's got like the second slowest quarterback in the league coming in on QB runs. So I, <laughs> this I this percent thing is why is weird to me. Um it's just it's bizarre, right? I, I, I don't know. I can't because it's not as if Brissett is like an athletic guy or or anything like But that's what makes he's just younger. He's just younger. He, he's like he's younger his and less tissue has not been as beat up. Yeah, he's younger and frankly less valuable because he's not the starting quarterback. They don't want to throw Rivers into the scrum there because he might not get out of it. So get up, yeah, he might yeah. not get up. So it's like the Brissett thing is he just a sacrificial lamb or I don't know. It just it feels weird, but the some of the plays have worked. So what can you say? I also think that, what, like, just in a real football note, a non-fantasy note, when you see Brissett, it's not like intellectually you don't know when you see Brissett being trotted onto the field what's going to happen, right? You know, like, oh, okay, probably this is a QB sneak. I know it's happening because we're at in the red area of the field near the goal line. And yet, it is so wild. It is so hard to wrap your mind around that I also think that opposing defenses are like, they're really going to do No, this must be a joke yeah. this time, right? Yeah. Like, they're not really going to do it again. And then Frank Reich is like, booyah, we did it again. Do you think there's also, like, a psychological part of that, too, where it's, like, almost how people talk about the running game, you know, when, oh, man, when we can just run it down their throats, and yeah. you know, it's it's just demoralizing when you just get barreled over. It's got to be demoralizing when the defense comes on and sees Jacoby percent. They're like, all right, Jacoby's coming in. 
We know what's coming. We know what to do here. And they still convert it. They've got to be like, God, we Texans are over there. Just we suck. JJ Watt's got to be pissed. Like, man, we <laughs> we suck. We can't even stop the Jacoby Brissett uh, package. Brissett train. That's, just, <laughs> yeah. that's not great. <laughs> but that's what Frank Reich keeping them scrambled. That's the yeah. doing his job well. Uh, Sean McVay continued or tried again to scramble for his quarterback after quietly calling him out, which is the biggest eye roll receiver that I've heard in a minute uh, in another divisional showdown against uh, the Cardinals here. And I guess, you know, Jared Goff answered the call, Matt. He was called out by his HC and he said, no, darn it. I'm going to lead like a man among men. I am not going to let this guy Cyrano de Bergerac me. I'm going to take care of the football throw for 351 yards and a touchdown, not going to throw any interceptions and only going to take one sack. So we talk about quarterbacks like they're such babies. Like, <laughs> well, you think this is really like, uh, this, is, this is all that's kept Jared Goff up at night or whatever. I don't know. It's, 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 so, it's so like on my radar, especially after the Carson Wentz, um, the diatribe that they went on to defend Carson Wentz on Monday night the other uh, last week. But that's a whole separate discussion point. Yeah, I mean, this game could have gone a couple of different ways for 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 the Rams specifically. I think if the Cardinals offense had been more competitive in this game, there's a chance that Arizona could have sure. could have really took it to them on defense. But the Rams got to play on their script. You know, Cam Akers. 21 carries for 72 yards and a touchdown. Daryl Henderson pops off a big rushing play. They were able to play on their script, get their type their type of design throws to guys like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup who combined for 18 catches. When this offense can play on that script and they can do some of their if you're if you're being not generous to them, call it like smoke and mirrors or their schemed up offense for Jared Goff, they could play really well. And and it's when they get off that script, when they get into they get Goff under pressure, he starts to make mistakes, everything like that. This was not that outing at all um, for the Rams, specifically again because the Cardinals' offense on the other side of this field really struggled in this one. Interestingly, the Rams have a short week. They have the Thursday night game. That's using remember those. Remember when we had Thursday night mm-hmm. games? Uh, we have one of those in Week 14, and the Rams are hosting the Patriots. So. I think when we're looking at this backfield um, again against the Patriots um, and I had Cam Akers as one of my fantasy freebies as one of my sleepers, even though his snap count was definitely tilting. Like you're like, oh, I don't really think he plays that often, but, but he was, he had the hotter hand. Sean McVay, you noted this plenty of times uh, said he was going to lean with the quarterback who had the hotter hand, hotter hand. So that was Cam Akers at the top of this effort was stopped at the goal line and continued to get the ball. So I felt like also props to Jordan Rodriguez, uh, who is one of the beat reporters for the Rams. She said early in the season and maintained it, even when things looked a little bit bleak, that Cam Akers was going to separate himself from the rest of this pack. That is happening here in the last, over the last few weeks of the season. Daryl Henderson though is continue is also going to get in there. As you mentioned, he ripped off a nice long run, um, but it was a little bit, it simplified things a little bit to see Malcolm Brown not part of this backfield in the same way that he was, what, six weeks ago, five weeks ago. Yeah, no doubt. We had Jordan on the podcast uh, in the offseason, and she basically said, don't expect Cam Akers to get off to a hot start 
number one, he got injured, so there is that. But said, so don't expect him to get off to a hot start because they're still trying to onboard this guy, and there's a lot to learn. You know, it's not just like every other backfield where you just get dropped in and you just roll up production. You got Daryl Henderson didn't do that last year because he had to completely reinvent the way he read blockers and everything in this specific scheme. So now that's all starting to slow down, come together uh, for Cam Akers. And I would expect him to continue to hold that job. I mean, these two guys, Henderson and Akers, are, are drafted in back-to-back years. They're probably the future of that team. And if Akers is the hot guy right now, he's the hot guy right now. Maybe Henderson is the hot guy in three weeks. Maybe he's the hot guy to start 2021. Who yeah. knows? But live in the moment with the Rams' backfield is basically the message. Hundo P. Um Larry Fitzgerald was not on the field this week, and in his stead, everybody, there was a lot of, he wasn't on the field last week either, and so the copy-and-paste knee-jerk fantasy plug-and-play narrative was, well, this means big things for Andy Isabella. Oh, tough scene. That hasn't come to fruition in back-to-back weeks. Instead, Dan Arnold goes off for 61 yards and two touchdowns, though it should be mentioned that he only drew three looks. So when you talk about low-volume, touchdown-dependent, Ta-da! This is what that was. The game began and ended with Dan Arnold touchdowns. So he provided the sandwich, the bread of the sandwich for the game. That's my analysis. Next week. I I love that analysis. It's very, very astute. I I also would not hold my breath in that happening next week at the Giants, who um, put on a defensive show this week. In fact... Shall we just talk about well, that so game now? Well, so just real the quick, Giants though, where, where are we at with, with this Cardinals offense? Cause Cardinals offense? 4.4 yards per attempt for Kyler. I have Kyler Murray on one of my on my best fantasy team. Um, luckily, as I was t- telling the producer before we got started here, I was telling Ragu, I got I had Devontae Adams and Darren Waller on the team, so I didn't really care what anyone else did. It was basically, give the rest of the guys a day off. They, they earned it. Um, but Murray... Three touchdowns in the end, but it was a slog to get there. Like I said, Dan Arnold comes as the game is sort of expiring here. They just weren't competitive in this game. It looks disjointed. Murray just 15 yards on the ground. That continues a three-game trend of here, him here really not being a big factor as a rusher. And I feel like teams are, number one, forcing him to hand. They, they want him on read option plays to not take the ball, right? Like, they, they want him to give mm-hmm. it. They're like, we will just live with Kenyon Drake or Chase Edmonds or whatever. We don't care about that. Uh, They also want him to keep the ball and dump it off to those guys too. It's just, I I think the Cardinals need to do a, it's it's, some of it might be Murray's health. I I feel like he's not a hundred percent, even though he got in a full practice on Thursday this week. I feel like there's some soul searching that needs to be done uh, in Arizona but it's a little, it's definitely troubling. It, they, they might, they might screw themselves out of a playoff spot here too. Well, I think that's very likely. I also don't like the matchup against the Giants no, next yeah. week for them. But when you are in the first week of your fantasy playoffs, I mean, so let's talk about, like, I think you make a, I don't know if a week, I frankly thought I believed in my heart and in my rankings that Kyler Murray would figure the health issue out this week and he would be back and better and you're right the three touchdowns did eventually come wasn't pretty still passed for under 200 yards didn't look as explosive the rest of this offense also wasn't as lifted with him struggling he is both the anchor and the jet that can either pull it down or push it up we talked about that last week but in the first week of your fantasy playoffs right you've got Andy Dalton at Cincinnati you want to mess with that you've 
<laughs> yes, 100%. I can't wait. Um, those narratives are going to be lit. You've got Tua hosting Kansas City. So maybe, you know, there's there's a point that, that maybe there's a high enough over-under that you could potentially stream in that situation. You've got Mitch Trubisky facing the Texans. Obviously, that defense has a whole bunch of problems. And Bradley Roby, as we discussed, is shut down for the rest of the season. But, like, are you really conscionably going to assume that Cliff Kingsbury and Devonta and, and New Hopkins and Kyler Murray can't get it together in week 14 and instead are going to throw a dart at one of the three guys I mentioned. Like, I don't no. think I could There's, do it. And I might be wrong and I might die on that batard or whatever it's called. Hoisted by your own <laughs> batard. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, but I don't think I could do it. And if I die, if I am eliminated from my fantasy playoffs because Kyler Murray just hasn't gotten right, then I can live with that. Yeah, no, I mean, I have, like I said, I have Murray on a team. I will be facing this thought, and I, I probably will not give it a second bit of thought in my mind. I will I will play Kyler Murray next week. Because even, even today, like I said, he stinks. He didn't play well. The offense is bad. It, it was a non-competitive effort, for the most part, for Arizona. And he scored 17.4 points. So... There's a floor there. He'll end up QB 15, right? He's going to end up inside the top 15 fantasy producers at the position by the end of the week. Right yeah. now he's like right 13 now he's 13, yeah. So, like, so it, he, for sure that there, that's there. You're not gonna. I don't think it will ever be so bad that you will lose next week because of Murray, even though this is a tough matchup. So let's talk about it being tough because I feel a little bit like Russell Wilson at the top of quarantine. I was cooking. I was having adventures in the kitchen. I was increasing my skill set. I was doing things that I never thought I'd do. And now at this point in quarantine, I just want to eat peanut butter sandwiches all like, the time the because Postmates I'm app? sick of, <laughs> yeah, we, we don't even have money for that anymore. Please. In this economy, that's expensive. So now I'm just eating cheddar bunnies and peanut butter with a spoon because damn, it doesn't look the same anymore. Yep. Um, that, that fun Seahawks offense from September feels like a distant memory. Um, it, it feels like something we dreamed about at this point. They're not fun. Uh, Russell Wilson too. Look, it's, it's not even that they're not letting him cook. They're running the ball more on early downs. Those things are all true. At the same time, Russell Wilson's kind of burning some of the entrees at this point, taking sacks, turning the ball over, lost a fumble and threw a pick today been part of the problem you know whether you want to whether you want to point fingers at other things or not you got to admit that this passing game that's run through Wilson has not been good now for for a while and you know DK Metcalf has an okay day 80 yards eight targets Tyler Lockett pops back up for 60 yards nine targets um whatever like these guys these guys aren't having the same sort of impact it, it's it's all like I said it's all part of it and it kind of stinks because their defense, their pass rush at least, has started to come back to life after trading for Carlos Dunlap. But now the offense has taken a significant step back. I think it's – and I, I wanted to rewatch this game, and I was interested in your takes because I believed that with Chris Carson back to full health, like he obviously returned on a – he was eased in mm -hmm. versus no doubt. Philadelphia last week, right? But now we see him, and he makes a, a huge impact in the passing game. 
But I really thought that that was the Jenga piece that was missing, that that would, because sometimes it's a, it's a piece that doesn't necessarily make sense, but then this piece comes back and the team gets to have their identity back and they get to do the thing that they have successfully done year after year with a player who brings a lot of that, um, I, I mean, I want to say beast mode, not just because I'm, that is, there's a lot of like, um, hard running ground, pounding ground feel to this offense. And maybe that then will like bring the passing game back to life because it's not so weighted down. And yet we're still not there. Like, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, I, I think that the Giants did an excellent job. Joe Judge did an excellent job of finding ways to fluster Russell Wilson. But you're right. We also saw that last week. This is not a new phenomenon. Yeah, this continues to happen. So I think you just have to adjust expectations. Um, we, we saw Russ go into a bit of a slide last uh, fantasy season, too, towards the end of the year. So I, I don't know if there's something to that, whatever. But we're definitely at a point now where we should have long ago adjusted expectations for guys in this offense. Well, luckily next week they'll host the Jets in Seattle. So <laughs> Right, you gotta yeah, 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 right. It's, it's a like good well, spot just, to get just, right. just keep it just keep that just keep that at the back of your mind. Just keep that in your mind. On the Giants side of things, Colt McCoy, I mean, I was I had fun writing, trying to convince myself that this could happen. It was fun. Sometimes it's fun to like write yourself a little romance novel oh, yeah. about a player that you didn't really care about. Uh, 105 yards and a touchdown. The biggest whiff I made of the week was doubting Wayne Gallman. 135 yards on 16 rushing attempts. Obviously, the 60-yard run was one that one that made a lot of people excited, and I hope that Gallman wasn't on a bench when it happened for you. Um, I will never again doubt the Rachel Lee Cook of 2020. One Wayne Gallman, I apologize. Yeah, I said this today. You know, you talk about the beginning of quarantine, the early, early parts of it. I, if I had to go back in time to tell my February self, pre-coronavirus self, that in December, Colt McCoy, for the starting for the first place New York Giants, will be handing off to Alfred Morris throwing touchdowns to Alfred Morris. I don't know if I'd be more shocked by that statement or the fact that that was actually frustrating because you all needed Wayne Gallman to win getting your fancy playoffs. Like what a weird twist of events here for the New York giants. I, I do think Gallman is like in un unbenchable territory just because he's been good. Yeah. This offense is, is functioning. Pretty, you know, even if Daniel Jones was back there, like this would have been an even better day. I think for the giants, because Jones is starting to kind of play decently well in this offense and we know that Jason Garrett wants to be a conservative run first coach and and by by and large Gallman has played really well so I don't know I, I think that Gallman's a guy that you're probably going to be riding the rest of the way yeah for the record I had only downgraded Gallman to like my RB20 uh, yeah. but over the past three weeks he's been a top 10 option so I was just telling people to manage expectations I did not anticipate he would roll up over 130 damn yards Again, mea culpa. Um, otherwise, Evan Ingram is the target leader. I think you are starting him every week at this point, regardless, anyway. And next week, the Giants will host the Cardinals, who uh, we talked about Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson finding the end zone. This matches up nicely again for Wayne Gallman because the Cardinals' defense, which have been pretty good against the run over the past couple of weeks, has started to slip. 
Yeah, that makes sense. All right, next up, we've got the uh, oh, um, the Eagles at Green Bay. I just find this to be an exhausting matchup, like mostly because everyone wants to talk about Jalen Hurts coming in in relief of Carson Wentz and how he was absolutely more effective. Also, this game was out of hand by the time he got on the field. Uh, the Packers had not prepared for him. Come on. I mean, this, this, when, when I hear like the Twitter going crazy about like Eagles Nation making a comeback. Yeah, I mean, were you, were you, I didn't believe that they would make a comeback, but at least it was with, it wasn't like it was 50 to 7 or something. No, but the game ended 30 to 16. Yeah. I mean, it was fun for a moment it was fun for because a moment. it was, it, Aaron Jones came it out and basically put the that team that's didn't suck. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing, right? Who cares if they'd come back and won, won this game? I just feel like he definitely gave them a spark, right? I feel like that's un- almost un- sure. almost undeniable. I mean, he comes out there immediately throws a 34-yard pass to Jalen Rager on the next drive, the touchdown drive, rolls a couple rolls up a couple rush attempts of over 10 yards throws the 30 plus yard touchdown to Greg Ward on 4th and 18 and here's here's the thing everything with Carson Wentz this year has looked hard it has looked difficult frankly you could say that that's been the case really in the last two seasons with Hurts it was just like oh this is what an offense this is what people playing on the Eagles offense look like when the thing is moving when things are going well and i just feel like regardless of whatever happened in this game is there really any downside to playing Jalen Hurts? I would argue that there's no there's no downside, right? Because if he gets if he's better this year, great. If he gives you a better chance this year, awesome, cool. Uh, you also get the ability to evaluate him for the future. Maybe he's a part of your your future at quarterback. If you just go back to Carson Wentz, you're just you're just still slamming your head into the wall, hoping that something something changes. Maybe Hertz goes out there and he stinks the next couple of weeks and you put Wentz back in there after giving him some time to breathe at the end of the year. I just don't see any way that starting Hertz next week and frankly the fact that Doug Peterson comes out and says, I gotta look at the tape in the pre- post-game presser means they're probably gonna start Jalen Hurts next week. And I just don't know what the downside of that is. But this is the preciousness of quarterbacks, right? Is this like what you're also alluding to is that like the fear is that it will. Do you remember all those years that Blake Bortles wouldn't have a a quarterback competition because he gets so shook and in his head. And so the organization was protecting that ego. There is a lot of that, that this feels reminiscent of that um, opportunity. And it's interesting or that situation, because it's interesting because on the other side of things, now obviously Aaron Rodgers does not comp to Carson Wentz, but yeah. Aaron Rodgers also was just part of a draft where out of nowhere, the team yeah. drafts a rookie quarterback <laughs> and he answers with a giant FU and goes ham week after week. I mean, another almost 300 yards this week, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, and he is making things happen on a regular basis. And meanwhile, Wentz, is devolving. Is devolving. And because I think that's what guys who are the guy at quarterback do. They answer the call like that. They don't just wilt away. And frankly, you know, we're talking about a guy in Carson Wentz who, <laughs> quote, won a Super Bowl with the Eagles, but we all know how that story went. So there's already weird juju 
with the whole Carson Wentz thing in in Philadelphia. At this point, like I said, I just feel I feel like this era is probably coming to a close anyways. But, you know, for for the evaluation for the future part of it, there's also a chance that, you know, Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman are not a part of whatever happens with the Eagles next year. So maybe they're considering that, too. But then again, in that in that case, if you already feel that way, like your back's against the wall, you're going to get fired. Why not just see if Hertz can dig you out of this hole and be like, look, I got this guy to play well to end the year. That's my cause for keeping my job. They're also in a spot where Hertz could make himself some real money Mm -hmm. because the matchup in week 14 versus the saints. I mean, this is a 10 and two saints team with a defense that is balanced. And now if, if Hertz can manage to produce in that matchup, I think he has even more credibility to his name. So we will see um, on the other side of this matchup, we mentioned Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Jones continues to go ham 130 yards. My God. Also like, I just have to say, when I was watching Aaron Jones on one of the later uh, long, what was it, like a 70-something yard run, maybe yeah. 75, something like that yard run. Um, the finish MVS, move. to his credit, MVS threw a crazy block, and I was like, I did not expect that from him. <laughs> that was one of those, like, real football he is trying to, like, get – I'm tough. I am getting back in some good graces. It might have been a little too little, uh, a little too little too late because he still only saw two targets in this one and comes up with zero catches. But it was nice to see him, like, you know, get in there in a scrappy way. Hell yeah, you love that. Otherwise, Devontae Adams continues to be it. Aaron Jones continues to be it. Both of them, like I said, had over 100 yards. Ellen Lazard still in the circle of trust, but it is Robert Tanyan who finds the end zone. For the second week in a row. Yeah, both those guys will be on the radar for sure. Tanyan, especially, I think, is a guy that you're starting every week. Well, that brings us to, my gosh, are we not done yet? That brings us to the Patriots at the Chargers. Uh, this is a little bit tilting. Talk to me about talk to me about Justin Herbert. I had a lot of people tweet me and say, I'm, I just want to let you know this might be crazy, but I am starting Justin Herbert over X player because... I need a win and in. And I will never, as an analyst, be like, I don't think you should do that. I will, If that's what you want to do, I'm going to let you own that. I'm never going to talk you out of something that you are confident about. My God. Um, yeah, this one hurt. This one hurt because I've got Chargers players everywhere. I got Chargers players on like every team. Herbert, Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. I get They're all over my rosters. So this one was completely unexpected i think from from what i saw of this game look maybe it really is just like bill belichick he crushes young quarterbacks we know that he's got a great record against these guys that are in their first you know x amount of starts or their first two years or whatever um i think herbert just didn't look good in this game this was like the justin herbert that people feared we might get in the nfl this is what we got i I don't really think it matters for the long term i do think look belichick can obviously take it to these guys at any chance i feel like that's probably the answer but Straight up, just watching the game, I I think he did not play well, and it was obviously um, a huge problem for uh, the Chargers in this one. This was a chess match for Bill Belichick. And also, we always talk about, like, what is the thing that Bill Belichick takes away, the number one weapon he removes, and maybe he thinks Justin Herbert is this team's number one weapon. Also, Anthony Lynn's got to be sweating for his job. Like, just something to keep on your radar. I don't know if if he's going to be around much longer. Um, 
The Patriots, though, fun fact, put up 45 points while none of their players broke 80 yards in any facet of the game. So even the core, even Cam Newton, 69 yards passing. Yeah, <laughs> it's so. I mean, they're they're playing such a strange version of football. Um, I, I, I they're just a, they're such an odd, weird team in in 2020 I, I it's it, it's kind of hard to put into words and i almost feel like it should be more magical than it is this is this is a like looking at this game it is just a strange strange box score to look at because like you said 45 freaking points and <laughs> just there's no there's like no heroic superstar effort unless i guess we came in 3.6 yards per attempt not his rushing, not his rushing average. His rushing average Bad. was three point four. His passing yards per attempt three point six. I can't get over it. This is like some, this is like some backyard football game here. Well, the whole of this team is going to hang out in L.A. until Thursday because they've got the Rams uh, at SoFi on Thursday night. So we'll see what you know, McVeigh and Belichick. McVeigh, by the way, probably still like thinking about the oh, Super Bowl yeah. loss, all of that gnawing at his brain, right? There's this is there is going to be a lot of trickery and craziness, I think, in this Thursday night game. A lot of unpredictability and you know, the younger guy trying to outfox the the Bobby Fisher of football. Totally. Monday night, uh Washington. Do we talk is about the Raiders and the Jets? Do we care? Yeah, I mean, look, Darren Waller's the man. Look, we'll do this real quick. Darren Waller rocks. Greg Williams is a clown. Boom, log out. Our producer didn't even want us to discuss it, so uh, we're not going to. Wait, I will say, if we're talking about the Jets, uh, can we just give a little bit of love to Denzel Mims, even though it was Crowder who returned to being Sam Darnold's first-place bromance and Rashad Perryman wasn't able to convert on some key opportunities and bigger type plays. I will say of if you are trying to like find one of these receivers to use regularly, I think Mims is the happy medium between these two receivers. He had seen eight targets for a couple of weeks in a row heading into this one. He didn't see that much this time, but hyper athletic player starting to get cohesive. And I think again, there's one of these guys is going to do something. And I think Mims is the guy that I like on a more regular basis. Does that make sense to you, Matt? I think that makes complete sense to me. Um, and shout out to Ty Johnson, a guy that the Jets beat writers have been, you know, needling because they're having fun with it at this point. Oh. You can't convince me otherwise. They've been like needling um, Adam Gase about why why do you keep playing Frank Gore when Ty Johnson's clearly faster? They're obsessed with this. Rich Samini from ESPN asks it all the time. I've seen it out there. Why isn't Ty Johnson out there? Well, Ty Johnson got out there for 22 carries, 104 yards, and a touchdown and another two catches in this one. That was an unexpected development. Uh, quick, just a little uh, asterisk to that. You're right. Uh, Frank Gore left yeah. in the first quarter of this game, which is what provided Ty Johnson with the opportunity. It's not that there was all, oh, all of a sudden. Yeah. I'm not giving any credit. Coaching revelation. I'm not, I'm not giving any credit to Adam uh, Gase and Daryl Loggins for having a – Dowell Loggins, sorry, for having uh, some kind of epiphany. And it bears mentioning that the Jets traveled to, as we said earlier, the Seahawks, uh, who, despite Wayne Gallman's 130-yard effort, went into this matchup allowing the third-fewest yards per carry to opposing rushers. So I'm not quite sure the Ty Johnson Express is ready to roll completely again. 
when you think about the limitations of this offense as a whole. But you know he's going to be on a bunch of waiver wire articles because that's the game. All right, so Monday night, Washington is at Pittsburgh. You and I, I think, both like Washington to potentially play spoiler to the undefeated season that the Steelers have been putting together. Uh, yeah, I expect them to play well in the spot. I, I don't know if I got the stones to say. In fact, in my picks pool, I did not take them uh, to win because I just don't have the stones for it. But I could easily see it happening. That's a coward's way of, of no James Conner. Analyzing no James Conner in that one. Uh, and then Tuesday night, Dallas at Baltimore. We're hoping, it seems to be, not entirely sure, however, that Lamar Jackson will be back. Seem, seems like he'll be back. Seems seems like he'll be back. Um, the other the other other Monday night game, the actual Monday night game, the actual Monday night football game, Bills and 49ers, too. That's one that I think will be. Don't forget, we've got <laughs> got two Monday night games. Oh God! What uh, a yeah, year! That'll that'll be great too. What, and thank you. What a year! What a show! What a week, Matt. What an article you're about to write tonight. What about the article that is what an article you're about to write? Oh, about to write. I'm I'm almost, as soon as this damn game wraps up, I'll slam in the parts about the Chiefs and the Broncos. Your boy Drew Locke uh threw an ugly pick to start this one. Are you still like a Drew Locke stan or where where are you on the Drew Locke? Um I don't want to talk about it right now. Okay. I want to talk about I did it right see now. an interesting quote for him uh from him on I think it was it's from mid-November or whatever, but it resurfaced on my timeline here This during this game. He basically said on his bad decisions, uh, his decision-making, his mistakes, yeah, about 50% of the time when the ball – or about half the time when the ball leaves my hands, I think, uh-oh, 50, 50% is a lot, Drew. <laughs> We're going to want to get that down from half the time, buddy. Let's just, let's just put it that way. But, yes, I, I will be writing an article, going to focus a lot on um, – the Browns uh, Titans matchup parse out some of the thoughts we had in on this podcast and in, in written form. We also have a lot of podcasts, so I'm sure that Charles Robinson and Therese Paler will discuss Drew Locke and um, all of the intrigue that he brings, all of the intrigue that his decision making brings, shall I say, to the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast and. Also, we've got Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and Pat Forty leading up the Yahoo Sports College podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That's at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. One more thanks to Planters. Andy and Scott will be back tomorrow morning to talk pickups. Until then, we're out.
Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.